Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Listen to the new Thin Green Line podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Game wardens John Norris and Wayne Saunders talk about wildlife, the outdoors, law enforcement, environmental subjects mixed with current events and guests that are part of the Thin Green Line. And if you are one of those visual people, like me, for $5 a month, you can see the actual podcast on Patreon.com. Just search the Thin Green Line podcast on Patreon.com and join us. The Copper Pig Brewery in Lancaster, New Hampshire, is brewing traditional and innovative high-quality beers, as well as serving a large menu of creative comfort foods, appealing to all walks of life, with daily specials sourcing many ingredients locally. Charitable involvement and support of their community is the cornerstone to the Copper Pig Brewery's mission. Voted number one in New Hampshire by WMUR Viewer's Choice two years in a row, 2018 and 2019. Please join me at the Copper Pig. We love our children. We protect them. We guide them. We prepare them for life in the world. With all that we do, from deep in our hearts, we cannot control all things. Life-threatening illnesses and disabilities affect far too many of our children each year. While we cannot change the circumstance, we can make dreams come true. Dreams to provide hope, to provide spiritual healing and strength, to provide moments of happiness and relief in the hardest of times. We can give a glimmer of light and hope in a time of darkness and despair. Join huntofalifetime.org to help make dreams come true, to provide hope for children with life-threatening illnesses and disabilities. Hunt of a Lifetime is a nonprofit organization fulfilling dreams for hunting and fishing trips to youth 21 and under with life-threatening illnesses and disabilities. Visit huntofalifetime.org to learn how you can make a difference. This podcast is brought to you by Maine Operation Game Thief and Wildlife Heritage, a foundation of New Hampshire at nhwildlifeheritage.org and International Wildlife Crime Stoppers.
please join me, Game Warden Wayne Saunders, and other Game Wardens on our adventures protecting wildlife, saving lives, and having fun, all while serving the public and the natural resources of our planet. Listen to the tales and experiences of those who work in the outdoors while being entertained with stories about encounters with poachers, wildlife investigation, murder investigation, near-death experiences, search and rescue missions, wildlife interactions from game wardens around the country and around the world. When I retired, I realized I couldn't let go of that legacy, but rather wanted to share the passion, the commitment, and the stories of those men and women that call themselves game wardens. This is Game Warden, Wayne Saunders, and this is Warden's Watch. So this is episode 44 of Warden's Watch podcast, and we're going to go personal this time, which is, you know, I started to talk to John after talking to Nancy Foley about cases, and he starts talking about this California case that they had, and here I am on the edge of my seat because uh, game wardens love game warden stories. It's just all there is to it. And I said, John, that's a podcast. We, we got to do that, especially after Nancy. We gave the introduction to California. Now to bring in this California case that ties in so much national parks, country that I went out and visited last year that was just a awesome, just an awesome, awesome place for sure. Uh, I'm pretty excited about this. But then we had this cliffhanger, John, because it was supposed to come out right after Nancy, and you called because they, they called you back on a, on a fire for logistics and stuff, and California was burning, and like, like I told everybody in the last intro is, when people call us, we're generally not people that say no, <laughs> unless it's exactly. really serious. Well, fill us in what happened. Yeah, Wayne, it's been a crazy couple of weeks, as you know. I mean, this this fire campaign in California, my old, uh, my old haunts in the Golden State have just been Literally, no, no pun intended, out of control. The biggest mm. fires we've seen in you know better part of a century. And I was back down in California a couple of weeks ago when the Santa Clara County Fire Complex just kind of was getting started, and was actually in some of those backcountry areas. And you know, there's a lot of areas I keep an eye on for rancher friends and the parks back there. The fires had started, but they weren't really threatening some of the prime black-tailed deer habitat country that was my old patrol district and the whole, you know, the whole Santa Clara County squad back in the mm. patrol days. Um, and then within four or five days, pretty much the back country of Henry Coast State Park, which is many of our listeners and viewers know, that's where I met a game warden that changed my life to be a, you know, game warden from an engineer and uh, learn to backpack and learn the way of surviving out. You would have been a lousy engineer. was in that park. So, <laughs> Oh, thank you. Um, I think. <laughs> well, I couldn't sit still, man. <laughs> no doubt. So, uh, thank you for some divine intervention on that one. Absolutely. But, uh, but that'll happen. That, that'll happen in Henry Co Park, brother. And what's going on right now is areas that haven't burned in over a hundred years, if at all, are completely gone. Mm. Private ranches. The the founder of California Deer Association, his big monster ranch back there with some of the finest black-tailed deer genetics uh, anywhere in California, um, is completely gone. The fire is up to close to 400,000 acres. Mm. I was on the phone kind of constantly, whether I was in California helping them there or doing it remotely once I got back up to Montana, just you know, helping with access and how certain people can get in behind certain gates. And because uh, obviously we know we know that back country like the back of our hands. And yes. it's just been heartbreaking to see it continue. And even as of this morning, right before you and I got on to record, I was getting updates from my uh, Santa Clara uh, Sheriff's Office met buddies that are back there for met operations and work with the same ranchers and just just getting updates that it's still going strong and it's not anywhere near uh, completely controlled. And 
just waiting for that fall weather to turn and get some weather that's going to do it. Uh, right. If there aren't structures back there, we're, we're letting the backcountry burn. There's just not enough firefighters. There's actually fire crews, Wayne, from Troy, Montana, up here in Lincoln County, right down the road from me, fighting the California complex fire right now. Mm. Um, that's how much California is needing firefighters and, uh, you know, from all different levels of agency to go down there and, and help the, help the effort. So our game wardens and talking to my Met guys and our patrol guys down there, they're underwater. In fact, uh, uh, my partner, uh, you know, now Lieutenant Kyle Kroll, uh, up there in, uh, you know, Sierra County and, and that area did a great job in the middle of the fire complex up there, kind of rediverting a cattleman trying to rescue his cattle during mm. this fire complex in another part of California. And that's my partner back way before the Met days that we're going to talk about a case he put together that we worked together, an undercover case today. So just kind of a small world, how it's all kind yeah. of coming together. You know, you're seeing uh, thin green line game wardens, you know, fighting fires, evacuating people, rescuing cattle. And then you turn over to something like this and look at the undercover cases we do. And it just, you know, kind of, uh, it's kind of humbling how diverse and uh, how crazy some of our job duties can get, you know. Right. Yeah, we're, we're doing things in the outdoors and we chip in where we can, whether it's logistics or actually fighting fire as well. Anything they need when, when, the, when it's time to do that. And for an Eastern, Easterner that's experienced that, that fire is unnerving, you know, especially out west. You guys live with that threat on a constant basis. Us, we get enough rain so we don't live with, live with it on a constant basis like you guys do. But I've been, you know, out in yeah. Idaho as a fire started and everything and closing roads and access. And it, it's a very unnerving thing to know, you know, not knowing actually where the fire is and where to get around it and, and stuff like that. So to have guys doing logistics, game wardens, and because they know that country like the back of their hand, it's just so helpful, especially when you're bringing resources in that don't know it. So you become an asset. So, well, great. Exactly. Well, I, I want to get into this case, man. I, I made you stop uh, as you were describing <laughs> it because I'm like, no, wait, wait, wait. This is a podcast. We, we, we got to let the listeners hear this because... I thought it was great, and it's just so cool to to hear all the different aspects and everything. So, so why don't you take it away? Yeah, for sure. This is one that uh, you know talk about going back in the wayback machine and pulling it out of the vault. This mm. was one of the highlight, I think, covert cases I've ever worked, and, and one of my best experiences, and one of the coolest uh, cases I got to share with with Kyle uh, back in the day. And you know, really talking to Nancy, she kind of sparked it all with Nancy Foley's history of running our covert unit or special operations unit. Because this is one of those cases that we were a couple of patrol guys. I was a lieutenant. He was a lead warden in the, in the county. And we ended up getting in way over our heads with the bigger this case got, something he, he actually found and we generated at the squad level on the patrol level and ended up getting into a year and a half long investigation with our special operations unit. Um, and ironically, this whole thing ropes back to you know cartel marijuana cultivation is how it all started. But I'm going to back up a little bit by saying um, this happened between 2006 and 2007. Went on for about a year and a half. We started the investigation in August of 2006 and weren't really uh, serving a better part of 15 to 20 search and arrest warrants all over the state of California uh, until the very end of 2007, actually in December. Um, and uh, this was this was just a couple of years after Kyle had been near fatally shot in that first marijuana grow that we talked about from the August 5th, 2005 shooting. And here he is literally a year back from that crazy ordeal and already generating a, a tier one undercover case that's going to take us all over California 
you know, into the borders of national parks and everything else. So a shout out and kudos to Kyle for jumping back in and, you know, jumping to the deep end I, on an epic case. I'll just say he, and I, mean, I don't like to use this word a lot on this podcast, but he's a shit magnet, isn't he? <laughs> Oh, in the best way, you know. In the, in the best, best way, way. absolutely, in the know. best way. I've, yeah. oh, I know yeah, several yeah, officers yeah. that are just like that. They just fall into these cases and get involved with so much so quick, and you're like, and it's just constant, and they just they can't help themselves. They're, they're a magnet to it, which is awesome when you're a game warden and you have that kind of activity. So, but I can it just is, see you you're know, pitching that, co- you're baiting that picture, and I can see other officers in that spot too. <laughs> Yeah, Wayne, and that's actually a perfect title for it. And, and Kyle's <laughs> one of those tier one game wardens that when he, you know, when you find that bone, you know, to that holy grail of that real wildlife mm. case, you don't let go. Mm-hmm. You don't let go. And I was always blessed to have, you know, meat eaters, so to speak, in the squad on patrol yeah. way before I got into special ops with the Met team. <laughs> and we had that squad in Santa Clara County in the Silicon Valley, and, and, and Kyle did a crush job on that. And this was one of those cases. And uh, we ended up calling this one um, Operation Bear Conduit because it started off as an illegal pig hunting case where Kyle and I went in undercover to hunt wild hogs. Uh, and then it spiraled way into a big black bear poaching ring that went all over the state, which was, which was really interesting and uh, kind of spider webbed into some neat things. But the way this thing started, and this is the irony of going full circle of where my specialty led and stuff Kyle's done too in, in marijuana enforcement <clears throat> is uh, one of our narcotics task force units in San Benito County has served a search warrant on a, uh, basically a career, uh, wildlife poaching family will, uh, nickname, uh, chipper, we'll call him. And what chipper had going on was on his own private ranch where he years before had run kind of a illegal commercial hunting club done canned hunts where they, you know, were releasing animals out of cages and things like that. And actually prosecuted for it by the generation of game wardens before us. Um, he also had a cartel grower set up on his place, um, for a certain amount of money to allow him to grow some of the tainted, you know, illegal mm. black market cannabis to be sold on the black market. When that raid went down, one of the, the guy that was arrested in that grow was the grower. And in his wallet, he had, uh, you know, he had a card that said something about pig, pig hunts and who to contact. Mm. And uh, so we, you know, Kyle went out with our, our unit task force on that raid because he knew the property and was assessing environmental damages from the game warden site and the grow site. And right away called me up and said, Hey, this is great. I mean, this, this, these guys have a history and it looks like they're doing guiding. There's no guide license and record. This is great. And I said, well, yeah, let's set this up. Let's, let's work our way into a hunt and see what's going on and, uh, you know, try to stop what's going on out there. Cause obviously there's, there's some career wildlife problem mm. violations here. And sure enough, um, we worked into a hunt and, uh, Kyle and I went, um, we went hog hunting with Chipper and his son and a couple of hog dogs and ran around in the, you know, the heat of August in San Benito County and, uh, uh, bait a pig and Kyle got that pig and, you know, pretty much completed that case. And we kind of thought that was going to be it. We were going to, you know, um, shut it down, make an announcement, put a warrant together, do what we needed to do for the arrest. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we got approached by, by the suspect and he said, Hey, uh, you guys, you guys like to hunt bears and, you know, kind of playing dumb. We're like, Oh, we've never hunted bear before. We're just some Silicon Valley guys, you know, blah, blah, blah. We'd love to hunt bears. Where do you do that? Well, we hunt them way, way East, you know, up by that big old park. And we're, uh, like big old park, like, Oh yeah. Out there past Mariposa. So we're thinking, Oh, um, like Yosemite national park. (laughs) Yeah, that's the one. So, of course, Wayne, you know, you've had the history of national parks and, you know, 
you know, how, yeah. how sacred that land is. Right. So when we heard that, I mean, talk about just the, the right. you know, just the alarm bells going off. Yeah. We and both this got is, really this excited. is a really yeah. a lesson learned for especially young officers is, you know, we're so anxious to make that case that we don't hang on for yeah. the next one. We, we jump at it and we don't look beyond that, that case that's right in front of us. And it, it's, you, you can develop cases out of a case if you're just a little patient and, and timing is right. everything. So be a little patient and, and look look behind the scenes. And that's exactly what happened here. You guys could have made that case right there. You could have been at the end of the hunt, oh, yeah. you, you know, arrested those guys. But you, you, you hung back a little. And now, now we're going to be, we're going from hog hunting to bear hunting in and around a, a national park. That's, you know, this, this is what's opening up. And, I, and that, uh, this is where you got me last time. I'm like on the edge of my seat. I'm like, uh, this is going huge. And then you told me how huge. I'm like, yeah, yeah, let's, let's, let's sit back. I want to do this as a podcast because this is really good. When you start involving, you know, national treasures, Yosemite National Park, I'm just like, you know, I'm in. So not to interrupt you, but I, I just, you know how that, you know how that goes. I just want to have that lesson learned so that that future game warden that's listening, the, the game warden, the young game warden, the old game warden can, can chuckle to himself and the people can understand how sometimes that we don't make that case, especially informants. Informants, if you don't inform informants, they, they get a little antsy. So sometimes we wait a year to see how much more comes out and that informant will be calling up and, and as officers, we should call them and tell them what's going on. Hey, that was great information. You know, it's right, going to be right. extended. So they're not <clears throat> impatient. Yeah, I gave that game warden this information. He never did anything with it. And sometimes, as you oh, know, that, that, they'll get more involved if you don't tell them what's going on and screw up a case. <laughs> oh, exactly, man. And those, those are two really good points you bring Wayne and something that through our, uh, through basically our COVID, what we call, you know, covert surveillance or tactical mm. surveillance class we teach in our Academy is guys, when you're new, when you're new game warden, you're going to want to go for the low hanging fruit. Mm. You're going to want to get a rock in the box because <laughs> we all want to generate tickets. We want to impress our Lieutenant. Yep. We want to, you know, impress our peers. We want to be shown as a go getter. Um, but it's really hard to be patient, especially yes. the first couple of years. And this is what was so cool about this case is um, Kyle was really, really early in his career still. Mm. I mean, basically, when we had had the shooting in 05, he'd only been on about a year and he had almost a career ending, you know, injury with that, you know, with that AK-47 round going through both his legs. So when he came back a year later, you can imagine how eager he was to get back in the mix because he's such a go-getter. And this happened to be one of the first cases. And what's, what's you know, this is a career case, mm. one of many, you know, but this is, this is a tier one case. And we both had that conversation of, wow, how far do we want to take it? And of course, you know, I just loved what he was doing with it and wanted to promote that and, 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 you know, nurture that and say, Hey, let's, uh, let's go a little further. Let's see, let's go out of County. And so when you start going into other parts of the state and you start working in other, you know, game wards, patrol districts, as you know, and this, this bear hunt was literally going to be in a whole different patrol district. Mm. We're talking several hundred miles away. So this is one where we started talking to the locals, you know, up around Yosemite, veteran game wardens that I had worked with my whole career, good guys, uh, you know, and we started talking to our special operations unit, Nancy's old team. Right. And we, we had a lot of friends and a lot of allies. We had done a lot of, uh, we had assisted them a lot. I had a history working with SOU. Kyle was starting to have a history working with SOU. And, and the SOU folks really like these kind of cases when patrol can bring something that's, uh, you know, a little different. 
you know, and especially with black bear in California, where black bear sits in California that makes this poaching case so unique is our main felony statute in our fish and game code is based on bear violations. Mm. Um, you can't sell bear parts, right? You can't uh, commercially trade any of that. So um, when you start talking about taking an over limited bears, tr hunter trespass for bears, going into a national park for bears, or even being on the border of a national park, potentially in Yosemite, mm. this, uh, this hit a lot of red alert signals. So we, uh, we started integrating with our undercover team, um, we had to work with national parks. We had mm -hmm. a lot of, uh, you know, in the woods, late at night meetings with national park rangers and administrators in NPS on working in their park mm -hmm. and actually working jointly as national park service rangers and being identified as such. They were great to work with. Yeah. Um, they kind of let us, you know, run with the ball since we were kind of the, the active faces of the case, if you will, but they were always there for support and they were always kind of, you know, in, in the, 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 the uh, information chain, if you will. Right. So, so after that pig hunt, we were kind of eager and, you know, that pig hunt was in August, mm -hmm. obviously bear hunt's going to be this, this fall hunting's going to come up. And uh, we did our first hunt and our first bear hunt right on the edge of Yosemite with one of our uh, colleagues from the uh, undercover team, the special operations unit, uh, you know, a whole weekend camping with these guys. And of course, when Chipper takes us to the mountains and we do this long four hour, five hour drive into Yosemite, gorgeous country, we start meeting more accomplices. And as you know, if you're patient, more poachers come out of the woodwork and we start getting guys like uh, code name Cowboy Mike, Naughty, Cruz, Blue, Mexican Mike, all these guys that have a lot of hog dogs, a lot of bear dogs, a lot of them have criminal violations, a lot of them have fish and wildlife violations. Uh, one of them was a convicted felon and he's running around with, you know, guns in his truck, obviously. And the dogs are going crazy. They're hitting scents. They're treeing bears. And I, I want to qualify right now that this was back in the era when you could hunt bears with dogs mm -hmm. in California. We lost that about, you know, I'm, we're going back over five years ago, if not longer, when that was banned in California. But hound hunting for bears was a very, very big practice in California. And what very few people understand about the Golden State, they think of L.A. and San Francisco and the Silicon Valley they don't realize that one of the best black bear populations and the biggest black bears in the country are in California. Mm. And we have a ton of them just like mountain lions. So out of state Utah hunters that are, there's a big contingent of houndsmen that are really dedicated houndsmen know of that area, especially up on that Nevada border, because our bears are huge. They don't hibernate. They stay fortified, eating a ton of food all year long. Mm. So there are some monster black bears and people know that. And these guys know that. So, um, it was, it was their old haunting ground to go up in that Mariposa country and poach right into Yosemite. And it had happened for many, many years, but just they had kind of gotten away with it. So the first bear hunt we did in October of that year, um, we treat a bear. It was a mature bear. And of course, they were telling us to shoot it. And we were playing along and we did what we had to do. And we, uh, we had tags and uh, we, we harvested um, a black bear watched the dogs work, um, really kind of embedded a little further with these guys. And they were getting very comfortable with, uh, you know, kind of the whole excitement of the process. Um, and we continue to do more hunts because uh, more suspects were being roped in. They were talking. And who about do they think you are? They think they you're some big with. wheels from Silicon Valley. Did you have to throw around a lot of money or did you have to know no, about it, technology it, it was, it was, or what was your covers? Yeah, it was kind of a, 
kind of kind of an uncle nephew deal you know just some uh some tradesmen in the valley i'll leave it at that yeah um not tech types but you know a little naive i didn't to, expect you to be not a tech really type. bear, bear hunting <laughs> yeah yeah uh but it was it was kind of kind of that deal where we were we were kind of a family partnership and we mm-hmm. were just kind of new to hunting in general and uh you know and the two things that you that people like to hunt in california are wild hogs and there's a lot of legitimate wild hog uh, guides all over you know the central coast and northern california mm-hmm. so that kind of led us in and then uh you know not being from that area the uh, the illegal guide chipper in the beginning said, "Would you guys like to hunt bears? Because mm. that's kind of the holy grail in California. You know, is okay. that big black bear." Yeah. So we kind of worked into that naively, and uh, you know, once these guys got to know us and saw that we were, you know, kind of like a couple excitable young guys, they were like, "Okay, we can trust these guys. Let's go." Mm-hmm. Um, and and that was a fine line because when you're when you're in these these camps, you know, for three days at a time, and you're in the middle of nowhere you're hearing and seeing some pretty heinous stuff, right? You know, I mean, just ridiculous stuff. Um, I remember we, uh, we had, we had taken harvested that first bear in October, the first year, but because we were told about all these other houndsmen that, uh, that tree lions all the time mm-hmm. and it killed multiple mountain lions, um, in this same area. And of course the mountain lion is a protected mammal in California. And we've right. talked about that on our other podcasts. In fact, Jack Carr on the Thin Green Line podcast had a real good question about managing mountain lions when there's so many of them and you can't legally hunt them. Right. How are they managed behind the scenes or, you know, what's going on with the management, even if it's illegal? And sure enough, mm-hmm. we have a lot of that in California. Um, so we wanted to get closer to these other houndsmen. We wanted to get into another network of guys that were pro- that were not probably, but were doing significant wildlife damage as a small hub because everything, almost everything they did was prohibited. Mm-hmm. And they were running bears, they were running bobcats, they were running and treeing mountain lions out of season, or they were treeing animals they couldn't tree or even hunt like lions. And they were killing these animals right. and they were wasting these animals. Um, when I get to the end of the story, and you can tell I'm getting kind of fired up just telling it, reliving yeah. it, but I'll, I'll go into the, I'll go into the charges of this, you know, this book of an arrest report, this stack, because the surveillance and uh, what Kyle put together for, uh, you know, documenting this over, uh, you know, almost 18 months was just incredible. But wow. the amount of wildlife violations we got, but by not going for the low hanging fruit on that first yes. case was, was worth a, a year and a half of time. If we didn't write one other ticket the whole time, I mean, mm. it was just that kind of case. So anyway, I digress a little bit, but so we've gotten a bear. We've gotten a pig. Um, we need to go back and we need to keep working with these other guys. So we're going to do another bear hunt and we start getting rained and snowed out. So we got to push it over to the next year. Can, can, can I bring you back call. a little to that first bear hunt, John? I mean, I, I, if we can just tell the listeners, you know, you, you arrive at bear camp, uh, where you're staying, all these other guys that come out, the, the types of dogs and tell them kind of, kind of fill them in on the hunt too. Uh, I always, t- I get the question about dog hunting too. Oh, that's, that's easy. That's not fair. And I'm like, you know, you're a hunter. Have you ever gone bear hunting with dogs? You should try it because I will tell you, it's one yep. of the most difficult things. You have to be in wicked good shape in order to get right. to that tree. Most of the time there's sometimes that it's close to the road, but you have to be in really good shape. Uh, these dogs, that's what they love to do. That is what they were bred yep. to do. That is the, you've never seen a hound more happy than when he's doing what he should be doing, whether it's chasing coons or whether it's chasing bears. And it, it's a whole different culture to, you know, kind of, kind of give them a window into that culture, you know, uh, cause it, it is different. 
And I, I, I find it fun, and there's a lot of excitement when it comes to it. You tree that bear, and I got some bear treeing stories that are that are pretty hairy. <laughs> you got oh, the yeah. Yeah, so br- bring bring our listeners right into that tree with you guys, and you know, and, and shooting it because I'm assuming one of you guys shot it. Yeah, it, it's it is very exciting, and um, you bring up a good point, Wayne. Where when initially as a Silicon Valley game warden and not really working houndsman for bear. Um, but having a little bit of hunting experience, a lot of hunting experience, hunting black bears, but not with dogs. Mm-hmm. Um, same thing with Kyle. Neither of us, we were spot and stock. And, you know, I'm not going to say we had, you know, uh, we weren't like chastising hound hunting. But what we had seen with our colleagues that work bear country is a lot of houndsmen having a lot of violations, doing mm-hmm. things wrong, having too many dogs, running out of mm-hmm. season, um, you know, pursuing the wrong animals. So we, of course, we had a little bit of warden bias. I'll admit it. Um, mm-hmm. I was against hound hunting going into it, but I, with an open mind, I wanted to say, okay, let's go see what happens. Obviously, this is how these guys poach. Let's see how they do it with hounds, if they do it right, but they're doing it in a park or what's kind of going on. So you're right. Um, when hound hunting is done legally and it's done ethically, it truly is one of the most effective ways to selectively find the mm-hmm. right bear and not harvest the wrong bear and or leave that bear alone when it's treed bring the dogs off, disappear, and let that bear climb out of the tree yes. and move on. What I can say, and I'm glad you brought this up because I would not have mentioned it, so thank you for this, brother, is Kyle and I both, after his shooting in 2005, got to work with one of our most premier, if not premier houndsmen uh, in California that worked with our agency for uh, public safety mountain lions, public safety, depredation bears, um, you know, uh, you name it. And he was so good at this and did it so legally by the numbers in the best part of California where some of the biggest bears are. We each went bear hunting with him a couple of years apart uh, as Kyle was recovering after, after that gunfight. Mm. And we, we also did that right before this hunt. Mm. So I got to go out with a premier houndsman and I spent three different seasons working dogs with this houndsman and looking at and passing up or selectively deciding not to shoot or to shoot about 50 bears. Mm. before I got a seven foot beautiful at the end of his life, big boar on the third year of hunting with him and uh, doing it completely controlled, got to select it, make sure it wasn't a big sow with cubs because we've seen that Mm. or he looked big on the ground, but he wasn't mature enough. So my, uh, my attitude on bear hunting and houndsmen completely changed. It was, and it was kind of uh, honestly a real bummer to see that part of hunting bears prohibited in California for whatever reason and uh won't even go down that that rabbit hole right now but suffice to say it is very exciting and you're right you got to be in shape because mm-hmm. when these dogs strike a scent especially in that plumas county mountain country that's just like you know the yak wilderness i live in now in montana it is straight up straight down no trails through brush blowdowns and uh, i've never got my ass kicked more to be honest <laughs> chasing a hound or a couple of hounds and hearing them bay and, you know, watching them on telemetry and going, are you kidding me? They're yeah. two miles away. We got three more canyons and a river to cross. And then we're going to get to this tree bear before, you know, he gets out of the tree. So it's, it's no joke. And, yeah. and that's what we had going with these guys. And uh, when they struck that one, that one boar um, and everybody's doing the fire drill of jumping out of trucks and people are grabbing guns, uh, us included. And some of these guys, there's a lot of excitement, but there's a lot of officer safety concerns. And again, mm. coming back, uh, looking at it from an officer safety perspective and a tactical sense, 
you know, Kyle and I are trying to play the hunter and get our rifles and go out all excited and, and, and follow these hounds and these, these lead houndsmen. But at the same time, I don't want a guy that's a, a convicted poacher or we don't really know this guy behind me with a rifle yeah. running to back us up or with a handgun. And, and that's exactly what you're in. Mm. So everyone's armed and uh, we're two guys doing our job covertly, right? Or three guys when we have our, 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 our help from, a, from an SOU teammate sometimes and you're doing all of this stuff and you're you're outnumbered you're outgunned right and you're kind of undermanned so yeah. it's all just reading the situation and filling and flowing and watching each other's backs and i can be honest there are some you know oh shit moments mm-hmm. to put it mildly where you just don't feel comfortable and that's that's a 72 hour weekend even when you're in camp you're having conversations around the fire you're uh you know um, you're breaking bread with these guys you're in camp with them um it's, it's a little unnerving, but at the same time, it's one of the most rewarding experiences as a wildlife officer because of the spontaneous conversations that, are, that uh, erupt yeah. <laughs> in those camps. And uh, for the sake of our viewers, it's good to know that of, of how crazy it can get. But I, you just don't get that close in uniform on any case right. um, that I've ever been. And, and, and Nancy talked about why she put so much time into the special operations unit was because it's the way you get into the most embedded poachers yes. in their comfort zone that are doing the biggest wildlife damage and taking out the biggest numbers of, mm-hmm. of uh, sensitive species. So yes. no doubt. Um, to that point, it's crazy. But as we progressed on the case and we started to get in with cowboy Mike, who was the lion hunter and had a bunch of good dogs who missed the first hunt uh, we get into the woods with him, you know, next fall and just having conversations. I could not mm. believe the stuff that I was being told about, <laughs> you know, I, 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 I treat a hundred mountain lions last year, you know, and I killed most of them because, you know, I didn't want them to damage my dogs or they were in bear country and, uh, you know, and there's too many of them. So we just forget about them. Why, why worry about them? You know, we're not good. We're not going to deal with those game warden guys or whatever. And all that was being recorded and we're just listening and going down the, the, the rabbit hole. And, you know, you just feel you think of the impact of that many animals, you yeah. know, whether they're abundantly populated or not. And you think about what you're not hearing of what these guys are doing, you know, after dark and, you know, in a, in a patrol area where they know the game warden, they're driving by his house. They're mm-hmm. looking at his patrol truck. They know when he's home, they know, you know, we're depleted on staff. And so he's probably one for three districts. So they're like, Oh, he's gone. He's locked up. He's shut down for the night. Yep. Party on. Let's go. Let's go hunt. He's all on night. days and, off. Uh, yep. <laughs> uh, yeah, just, just the stuff we heard, you know, mm-hmm. um, uh, uh, weekend after weekend after weekend and ended up being, uh, we did two pig hunts. We went back and did another pig hunt back on the ranch, um, to freshen that up and to also see what else would, would kind of come from that case where that cartel grow was, um, the, the ne- next summer. And we did a, a total of three bear hunts and um, ended up executing a multitude of search warrants on a statewide takedown with us, with, a, with the special operations unit coordinating with us and integrating patrol and undercover officers and probably had 50 to 70 officers, if not more, on that statewide takedown and numerous other agencies. And um, I'll just read uh, some of the charges if uh, you guys will bear with me for a minute. But when you put that much work into it, and kudos to Kyle for you know putting this package together, but we had uh, criminal conspiracy, which is a felony on four suspects. We had a convicted felon in possession of a firearm, which on any level, you know, is, is a big one. Um, we had a penal code violation of offering a false or forged instruments to be filed, registered, or recorded. So false documents lying on, um, you know, applications for business licenses, whether it's a commercial hunt club or a guide license, 
um, unlawfully engaging in the business of guiding without having that guide's license and all the uh, necessaries, unlawfully maintaining a commercial hunt club, failing to maintain uh, guide log books, obtaining license through false statements, so some perjury. Uh, and then we had no more than one dog per hunter uh, during deer season because we were way over limit on dogs, which mm-hmm. is, you know, some of the renegade houndsmen, as I'm sure you have back yep. there, Wayne, it's, it's, it's not that they're hound hunting. It's that they just got to have, they got to have a pack, yep. you know, and they just, they just take too many dogs out there. Uh, we also had, um, let's see, hunter trespass on private lands, you know, um, private land on next to public land, little land holdings of private land. And then right there on the Yosemite park border, uh, unlawful possession of Mount Lion. And a waste of game and you, uh, a many more, but those are just some of the highlight ones. And that all generated from just diving in deep and, and doing it unconventional and taking the time and uh, having to wait almost a whole year to get into uh, phase two. And it's uh, one thing I can say from that case, that was the longest undercover operation that I was involved in. I think the longest one Kyle's been involved in up through his career uh, that may have changed, but, um, now that he's a Lieutenant like you and me, I, I, I think he's probably pretty busy running a whole squad and doing ops, you know? Right. Uh, but I remember, I remember a little bit of, we were getting a little anxious when we'd wait a couple of months and you wouldn't hear back from people. Then all of a sudden they'd get you, you know, the guides would contact you back randomly. Were they still going to be good? Were we going to get into the statute of limitations on some of these misdemeanors? If we didn't have the felonies, all those different things start to become an issue, but, you know, once the, the next fall started, um, we were getting phone calls and, you know, they were, um, get, telling us where to send deposits for the next hunt and nice. it was on. So yeah. being patient, that one tested patience. Cause we had to wait a long, long time to close that case. Right. Out and that's and unnerving when you're straight. waiting because those guys could trip across, uh, you guys in, in a uniform somewhere or see a photo of you or, or something. So you're always thinking, well, yeah. they didn't call. I wonder if they found out, if they, you know, if they came across that, if they saw an episode of Wild Justice. I'm sure this was before that. But those are all things yep. we have to think of. And, and even when you're engaged with these people, you're fighting your norm. You're normally not like this. You're, you're fighting your norm. And good undercover people are usually staying undercover for long times and they actually become the undercover, you know, that is their persona. That's it. And that's, that's oh, yeah. what makes it oh, very yeah. effective is that's what you do. And that's what you eat, breathe for a uniformed officer to go undercover. It, it's, it's very tricky. You have to be on your toes constantly. So you're saying the right things or, you know, he hands you a gun and you say, Oh, that's, that's a Glock 23, you know, chambered in three, five, seven. And they look at you like, how the heck did he know that when he's not supposed to know anything about it? Right. So, you know, right, it's exactly. those That's types of things yeah. that you're yeah. familiar with. It when you pull out your John Norris knife and snap that out, and they go, "Well, where the heck did you get that?" <laughs> yeah. you, 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 those types of things that are normal to us normally, and we become unnormal. It's totally against our nature, and we're fighting our nature when you do that. So you have to be constantly on your toes. And when you're you're not engaged with them, you're always thinking, "Did they find out? Did they did they trip across this? Are they going to call?" And you can't be calling them all the time. You got to let them come to you. And and then it starts rolling again. And now you're like, "Oh, good, everything's all set. We're we're norm, and we're we're right back on it." So you know, second phase. Uh, yeah, I'm excited now because I, I I hope we kill a mountain lion. <laughs> So yeah, exactly. You know, man. I, I have to. <laughs> you know, you're building. You, you got the hog. You got the bear. And now I'm like, man. After him telling you all that, you know, Cowboy Mike tells you all about these lions. You know, let's let's get him. Let's get him hard on, on a case like that. That's, well, and that's 
and that and that's a great point, Wayne, because we had offers from that particular guide and many of his friends say, "Hey, don't worry about going with this guy anymore. Just just contact me directly." Mm, and this cutting next each other's throats. Out and we'll <laughs> oh yeah, well, absolutely. Yeah, right? I mean, it's kind of a you know, it's kind of a, a little den there. So uh-huh. we we were actually solicited and invited to keep this thing going, and and you know, like a deep cover narcotics case, we could have went another year. Right, we probably could have got further, but but you know. There's always that fine line between how many more poaching incidents do you need to see? Mm-hmm. How many more bad guys do you need to rope in versus what have you already lost? Because right. we had already been you know, out with these violators for 18 months. Mm-hmm. We had killed one bear illegally. We had you know, been on an illegal guide hunt with one hog. Um, we know they were hunting every other weekends around that we weren't there. So uh, it was, it, it was a tough balance. Mm-hmm. And to your point, that's it exactly. When you're a patrol warden, if you're working into undercover, you you kind of gotta you kind of gotta know the life a little bit beyond mm-hmm. um, a patrol mindset and an ethos that we get in the academy that we do you know in uniform. Mm-hmm. And fortunately, even though we weren't going in as experienced hunters, we were kind of living the way Kyle and I always had growing up. Where when you get excited, you have that adrenaline, you get the you know right. you get all the excitement, and you you go for it. You know you kind of go for it. Um, you know kind of free reign, if you will. And mm-hmm. when we got onto that bear the first time, especially. Um, all those guys said, oh yeah, man, these guys are diehards. They're hooked. They're spazzing out. This is great. Um, but again, we're not on the deep cover team that can maintain that identity right. and immerse. We had to go back to run a patrol district. I was mm-hmm. a lieutenant. He was a warden in, yeah. you know, in basically one of the busiest counties in California. And fortunately for us, wild justice didn't start until the very year after we ended this case. Nice. And there was no way, since <laughs> Kyle was featured in that show, and I was a lot yeah. uh, together with Kyle many times, there's no way we were going to pull that off from an officer safety standpoint. Um, and quite honestly, to your point, I'm glad you brought this up, is between those hunts, we did our business in county, mm. but we were very low key. Mm-hmm. We were very low key. We really kind of stayed out of the media as much as we could. We didn't let people take pictures. We weren't really doing, we weren't at that point where all the big outreach and education was blowing up with wild justice and beyond. Yeah. And, you know, my first book and all of that, fortunately that happened uh, about a year after this case went down. And then, you know, there's a point where you just got to, uh, you got to mourn the loss of the ability to go undercover because I knew for me, after all the years of deep cover I had done either on my own illegal guiding cases before Kyle joined the squad, because we had had several, um, or before working with the special operations unit, doing everything from the abalone North Coast poaching situation to some other deep cover stuff. um, I knew after this case and after we got big on the outreach front with the TV show and different things that my undercover days were done. Um, Kyle kind of knew it too, doing a buy bust with a new squad member. Mm-hmm. In, in uniform and coordinating it as you and I would as lieutenants and we right. hold back and lead the takedown Why our younger, more or less known officers, um, we kind of became, you know, teachers in that at the mm-hmm. squad level, which was fantastic. Yeah. And we did, um, I can say a year after that case, even through the wild justice phase, we had just an A team of complete meat eaters in the squad. Right. Kyle was the lead warden. We had other guys coming in out of the academy. We, we had both trained. And, uh, and they were generating, you know, one day by bus, mm-hmm. whether it's a uh, exotic species in a, you know, a fish, uh, you know, a, an right. aquarium, um, in downtown San Jose, or it's a, it's a bear rug. You know, one of those cases we highlighted in wild, in fact, the big seven foot bear I shot with that great houndsman we had to use on the wild justice bear <laughs> sales case and seize it back. And, uh, you know, uh, ironically, I actually had a guy 
contact the department and say, ah, Lieutenant Norris's case on wild justice. He finally found my bear that was stolen. It was stolen a year ago. And that's the exact bear. I recognized the blaze on its chest and its size. And I had to <laughs> tell this guy, sir, I'm sorry, but I physically harvested that's that my bear. bear. <laughs> I, I know it's my bear. I, I know it's a nice one, but I know it's my bear. And he said, oh, no, it looks just like mine. It was kind of a little joke we had going with headquarters when they were getting those calls. But yeah. um, to all that point is, it's, it, it, it was a great evolution um, career-wise for Kyle. And that's what I look at sharing that case with him and seeing his excitement, and all the hard work he put into it. And, uh, I can't obviously share the, you know, the, uh, the, uh, the administrative paperwork that went into this case that oh I'm looking goodness. at, but it's, as I refresh, but it's, it's, it's extensive and it's yeah. a super well-written report His a search warrant affidavit to get the search warrants with our judge mm-hmm. that go 18 months, basically yes. chronologically. I mean, talk about writing a story. Right. You know, and, and telling a tale, it, it was, it was a real good piece of work. And, um, and, and, and more importantly, our wildlife in California benefited from it. Obviously this, this put apprehension in a lot of illegal guides and, and houndsmen and mm-hmm. people working dirty, kind of looking over their shoulders. And that's the other advantage of right. a deep cover. You and, just and don't know where it's coming. You mentioned something good from a super diver's point is when to pull the trigger on this case, you know, 18 months. Yes. How long do you go? You're starting to lose statute of limitations on things. So we have to take all this into consideration. It's, it's the perfect time because, like you said, you could have gone on probably for years and years and years and kept accumulating things, but there becomes a time when it becomes inefficient and you start losing other cases on the other end, which could be really big cases because your statute of limitations starts running out on it. So um, so it is, and, yep. and, and it's a good time to pull it. And, you know, f- frankly, for the guy that's working in that patrol area, the uniform guy, it's so nice to, to, to see that success after the fact, whether you know about it or not know about it, because that, that, that's a big, yeah. you know, success for combating wildlife crime in your area. And that, that's certainly, you know, something that they should be proud of as well. They, they came in and, and took these guys down. So, but, you know, not to interrupt, but uh, I keep interrupting. <laughs> no, no, man, I, you're, you're, you're spurring. There's so much to this. And, you know, it's, funny, it's, been, it's been over a decade, right, since this mm. case happened. And really, as I, I, I'm glad you wanted to do this because we talked about it with all the other shows we've been hosting with yeah. other guests. And you said, hey, let tell, talk about this case personally, man. Thank you for that, brother, because I, I printed you know paperwork I haven't seen in over a decade. And not only that, but shortly after this, that's when MET was built. And obviously, when I built and co-developed and all the guys came in and we put that whole thing together um, with the marijuana enforcement team, cases like this never happened again for me. You know, yeah. I mean, it was off to the races and that was a 24 seven thing. So, and these cases are every bit as important and every bit as rewarding. Mm. Um, every bit as dangerous, every bit as anxiety ridden, you know, and every bit as exciting as, yeah. you know, hunt cartel growers. To be honest so, with you, usually um, excited, John, but uh, telling the story, you're even more than normal. Like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure our listeners oh, can pick yeah. this up because there's a lot of pride that went into this too. And to relive that and like you said, review everything and look at it. Yeah, it's a success story, and kudos to you and the and the guys that pulled this off because that's uh, yeah, that that's huge, and you're reliving it, and you're you're fired up, man. You're fi- and, and normally you yeah. are fired up. Let's face it, we're fired up guys, but you, you're loving this. You're like you know telling the story, and you're you're yeah, I'm enjoying it, and I could tell you're enjoying sharing it. So well, let's- yeah, no, for, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Wayne, and one thing I got to point out is this is um, 
the, the significance of this case happening when it did because of what had happened to Kyle physically in that first shooting. Mm. Um, and for me, this, this was Kyle's baby. And what makes this so rewarding is he put this thing together. I went along and helped out. That's it. I that's, support That's him. what lieutenants do. Doing, <laughs> that's what we do, man. That's what we do. And, you know, in, a, you know in, in, in different situations, we may have never been able to do this case administratively. You know, if we didn't have good right. um, supervision and, and a I, captain above me that said, okay, yeah, I, you guys mm-hmm. stay on it work with SOU. We had a great relationship with the special operations unit. Right. I had a great relationship with headquarters command staff. And if we didn't have that, there's no way patrol could have continued this as right. you know, with all the burdens we have to do as lieutenants mm-hmm. and what our wardens are doing day to day, doing calls for service. So, um, and, and this was, uh, this was Kyle coming back after that injury, like with a hard, hard, uh, you know, mm. um, <laughs> A hard heavy metal rock jam saying, I'm back. Yeah. So, I've been there what, what a way to get and understand that so, very well. <laughs> so happy for him. So proud of him for putting this case together. So yeah, I, do, I am getting a little animated, but thanks. Thanks for bringing it up, man. Yeah. I had not thought about this case in a lot of years and it's been fun talking about it and preparing for it. For yeah. Sure. Now that, that second phase that did, did, did you ever, were you ever there when they actually killed the mountain lion illegally or did we have to just use no. all that? You weren't, huh? Dang. No, no, we went back and there was uh we we did not go on that hunt. We had mm-hmm. pulled the plug. But, but one of the charges of was and, one of the charges you read was was it unlawful possession of mountain lion? Yep, yep. There were some so, mountain lion parts found during the search warrant from excellent. a you know a, a previously yeah a previously yeah. Um, illegally taken animal. And that was one of the things. I'm glad you bring that up as well as we were really really careful with uh, our briefings on our search teams because we had so many search teams. And so many patrol mm. wardens working all over the state simultaneously. Uh, you know the logistics of that mm-hmm. in a state as big as California, not having people cell phoning each other until it's until you know it's already up. Um, but yeah, we we found a lot of contraband in a lot of these houses. You mm. know, um, whether it be mountain lion parts, bear parts, evidence of poaching in other places, um, weapons in a house that shouldn't have them because of a convicted felon statute. I mean, different things like that, mm. and. That's kind of, uh, you know, what are we going to find on the Easter egg hunt in a search warrant? We've been working with these guys in the field for 18 months. What's their life like at home? And to me, that's a really interesting, exciting part about wrapping up a case is what do you find on that final search, arrest, takedown? Mm. And and, and do you get more, you know, fruits of the poisonous tree, so to speak? And yeah, we got, we got a bunch. And And it's just not bragging about it. It it is actually, they're, they're, they're bragging. It was all true. And when you did those true. search warrants, you know, you, you corroborated their, their verbal, you know, you corroborated with evidence, physical evidence. So, and that's where those charges came from. It's, uh, yeah. yeah and, you, and you go back and you listen to the audio tapes of that, those recorded conversations and you're like, wow, did he really say that? Back that up. Yeah. Let's listen to that again. And he said it with confidence and he said it with a little bit of bravado, you know, and, and, mm-hmm. um, and sure enough, you know, let's say it was an exaggeration. So you guys were wearing only, wires. You know, we were, we weren't wearing wires, but we were recording in uh, unique ways. I'll just okay. say that. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause again, again, from yep, officer nope. safety standpoint. Don't want to give away tactical yeah. information for sure, but yeah, no, yeah, nothing like that. But and we I would were, say in uh, those we conditions, I would never have wanted to wear a wire. <laughs> no, <laughs> you know, no, and you know how it, don't do wires. And you see running after the hounds as your tape recorder falls out of your shirt or something. Yeah. Yeah, that would uh, exactly. Yeah, that, exactly. that that's not going to yep. happen because there's no way that you can keep those things solid. I found that out on Northwood's law. <laughs> it's tough, right? For sure. Uh, so. You know, and to get good audio recording is you know essential as well. But yeah, 
Oh, good, good, good work on a huge case. Uh, the park rangers, did they, were they able to work, go work with you on the search warrants or was anything inside Yosemite that we actually did? Uh, we didn't have to search. We didn't have to search anything inside Yosemite, but we mm-hmm. did have them helping, um, up on the park border and they were in, you know, kind of in the loop on where we were serving warrants, what we were doing. And certainly, um, we had some agents, you know, with the park service on the federal level mm-hmm. standing by in the event we found any other, uh, you know, documentation or any other evidence that would have provided something for a federal case um, during the search warrant phase. So, yeah, we had them. They were great to work with. They right. were absolutely great to work with. We didn't end up needing a whole lot of help from them um, because none of the takedowns actually happened in, you know, National Park pro- proper, mm-hmm. if you will. But they were uh, they were there and they were super excited to see this case happen. And Again, it comes down to even though these guys weren't in Yosemite all the time poaching, just the fact that they were their main bear camp was so close to the border. Right. No one had any idea these guys were, you know, kind of natives of this one area and they were really low key in it. Um, they were only bragging about it within their inner circle so they didn't draw attention to themselves. And mm-hmm. let's just say in an unfenced part with a very few signs, but definitely visible signs, you know, you're you're ending that national park property. We saw them, you know, right. during the operation. And some they of the best rain. hunting occurs on those borders because that's basically a reserve for wildlife and yep. the wildlife knows no borders. So it, it spills out. So whether it's legal or illegal, some of the best hunting opportunities are around those borders. And a lot of the violations occur in and around those borders. And, you know, again, some people not knowing the borders end up inside parks having issues. So where the national park certainly takes a, you know, takes the ball and runs with that. And, you know, being a former National Park Ranger. That they, I always like National Park stories too, and you know some of these the guys yeah. get to live and work in the most gorgeous places in the United States. So I, I just it's, it's a great thing. Some of my friends are still actually one of my friends just retired as a as a park ranger. So down in the Great Smoky area. But yeah, cool. as you know from from being a ranger, one last thing, Wayne, is um, what you just said about the good hunting on those fringes. The other thing that's so cool when you're on the border of a national park, um, if you're a private land holder or it's still public state land is mm. habitat quality. Yes. You know, usually just the management of how that cover and that, you know, basically the edging effect of, mm-hmm. of how different habitats are coming together. There's usually a good water source. And like you said, it's just ripe with wildlife. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, man, since uh, being a park ranger, especially for NPS in your yeah. history and knowing this was in one of the most well-known in California. And I just visited City, it last uh, year too. My first time in there Yosemite. I was blown yep. away by the beauty, but I was blown away by the people, man. Uh, yeah. Oh, I know. I I'm glad I yep. saw Yosemite, but I don't think I'll ever go back just because of the people. It was it was an eye opener, yeah. and uh, you know you go up to Sequoia Kings Canyon and the, and it goes to, to fractions of people compared to yep. Yosemite. Um, but just a gorgeous, gorgeous country. So happy I was able to see it, and uh, you know bring my 14 year old out there to see this too. Those uh, the sequoias are probably the most uh, humbling thing in the wildlife that I've ever experienced, and to be able to get out there away from the crowds and take a walk, you know, maybe late evening or something, and just sit among those giant trees is spiritual. I'll say that it's just uh, yeah. amazing. So if anybody ever listeners get an opportunity to do that, that they need to and, and try to find that quiet time. You know, um, everybody goes to see the Sherman tree. So, uh, yeah, yep. if you want to see the biggest tree <laughs> there, but there's some just as big and it's so much more quieter. Take a walk out there and then pick your times early morning, late evenings. Um, yeah, it's something spiritual about being among those uh, ancient 
trees. That's pretty cool. So Incredible. I'm glad I get to experience yeah. a little bit of, of the state that you worked in. So, cause uh, it's, it's a pretty awesome place and the, the wildlife you protected, you know, specifically this case, you know, huge animals that everybody loves. We all love bears. We all love, you know, mountain lions. Uh, I guess not so much hogs, but that's what started this case rolling and, and getting in there. So thanks for giving us a peek into that case, giving us a peek into California. That was, that was enjoyable uh, for me. And I'm sure our listeners are, are, are going to love hearing it too. So thanks, John. You bet, man. Great to share it and go down memory lane, bud. Yeah, no, no doubt. So wrapping up uh, episode 44, Warden's Watch. Always a pleasure. Game Wardens love telling these stories, uh, our success stories. John got fired up about this one. Uh, I'm glad he shared it with us. So hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Please join me, Game Warden Wayne Saunders, and other Game Wardens on our adventures, protecting wildlife, saving lives, and having fun, all while serving the public and the natural resources of our planet. Listen to the tales and experiences of those who work in the outdoors while being entertained with stories about encounters with poachers, wildlife investigation, murder investigation, near-death experiences, search and rescue missions, wildlife interactions from Game Wardens around the country and around the world. When I retired, I realized I couldn't let go of that legacy, but rather wanted to share the passion, the commitment, and the stories of those men and women that call themselves Game Wardens. This is Game Warden, Wayne Saunders, and this is Warden's Watch.